Happy Easter, everyone. I heard a great story. It was about a wise teacher and student who were studying the Hebrew scriptures together. They were looking at this little passage in the Bible that says, place these words of scripture upon your hearts. And the student said, why, why does the Hebrew say, place these words upon your hearts, rather than, you know, why doesn't it say, place these words in your hearts? And the wise teacher said, well, all we really can do is place these words upon our hearts. Because as we are, our hearts are basically closed. And so we can place these words on top of our hearts, we can place them upon our hearts, and then perhaps that is where they stay until one day when the heart breaks and the words tumble in. And today is Easter, so it's the day when we return to these words again, these words of resurrection, these words of, of eternal life. And what we do when we gather like this is, is we place these words upon our hearts. Once again, they are words of resurrection life, that Jesus is no longer dead, but alive, that he is not here, that, that he has risen. These are words of life after death. They're words of light after darkness. They're words of hope after despair. And I know that some of you are here and you are thinking, I don't believe this. Or I don't believe this anymore. Like maybe I used to believe this a long time ago, but I've moved far away from this. And I just want to say if that is you, that's okay. If you are sitting here like a person died and rose again, like became alive again, yeah, I don't do that. It's okay. It's totally okay. And, and here is why. God meets us where we are at. Spirit meets us where we are at. The divine one meets us where we are. And so really the invitation today, as we place these words upon our hearts, I think the real invitation is, is just to have an open heart and to see where it takes us. Also notice in this story from the scriptures, even Jesus' closest friends arrive at the tomb on Easter morning and do not believe. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved away from the entrance. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, gasping for breath. They took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. The first thing that we notice in this story is that even Jesus' closest friends did not expect this. It is not as though they're all, you know, standing at the tomb on Easter morning doing a big countdown like 10, 9, 8, 7, cue the sunrise, 6, 5, 4. It's not what's happening. That is not what's happening. The story goes on to say Peter... And the other disciple left immediately for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter. 
stooping to look in, he saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloths lying there, the kerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but separate, neatly folded by itself. Then the other disciple, the one who had gotten there first, went into the tomb, took one look at the evidence and believed. No one yet knew from the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The disciples then went back home. The next thing we notice in this story is Peter. Peter's a very interesting, fascinating character in the scriptures because he, he doesn't believe and then he believes and then he says he never believed and then he believes again. There is sort of this ebb and flow with faith and doubt that we see among Jesus' closest friends. I mean, Peter initially doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Then he believes and he leaves everything and follows him. And then later, when Jesus is being betrayed, Peter denies that he ever even knew Jesus at all when a teenage girl asks him a question near the fire. And then he arrives at the tomb and doesn't believe and then later believes. There is this ebb and flow that we see in the lives of even the people who were closest to Jesus. It reminds me a little bit of, of author David Brooks. He says that when people ask him, do you believe in the resurrection? He says, some days I do. And perhaps this is why we place these words upon our hearts. And some days they, they fall in. The story goes on to say, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels sitting there dressed in white, one at the head, the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. They said to her, woman, why do you weep? They took my master, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. After she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Je Jesus stood before her and she didn't recognize him. It's unfortunate that faith and doubt have become two words that we, we tend to think of them as polar opposites. Because actually genuine people of faith through the ages, from Mother Teresa to Thomas Merton to Henry Nouwen, have spoken of seasons of sincere doubt. Faith and doubt are not opposites. They often are walking right beside each other. If anything, you could, you could say the opposite of faith is not doubt. You could say the opposite of faith is actually certainty. P perhaps, perhaps we, if anything, we could... Um, be worried about, you know, not be worried about too much doubt in our life. I mean, maybe we should be worried about too much certainty. Even Jesus' closest friends ebb and flow in their belief. They're, they're seeming to ping-pong back and forth between faith and doubt. I wish that we could see our own doubts like a, like a portal, you know, like a portal that we go through 
into a deeper understanding and experience of the depths, the infinite depths of God's love. I wish we could, we could see our doubts that way. Wendell Berry, author, coined this wonderful little phrase, and he simply says, practice resurrection. I think I love this because, you know, in recovery programs, the, the, you'll often hear in recovery programs, it works if you work it. And I love this idea of practice resurrection. When Wendell Berry temp, attempts to explain, like, well, what in the world does that mean to practice resurrection? He says this. He says, friends, do something every day that doesn't compute, that won't compute. Here's a section from his poem. He says, yeah, love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. He says, be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So friends, every day, do something that won't compete. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Call that profit. Prophesy such returns. Practice resurrection. The Easter story, the resurrection story, is all about people encountering something that won't compute. Mary thinks Jesus' body's been stolen. Peter sees the linen wrapping. He doesn't know what's going on. When the angel speaks to Mary, she doesn't know what to say. When she encounters Jesus, she, she thinks he's the gardener. I mean, you could hardly get more misunderstandings into a couple paragraphs if you tried. Over and over and over again, in the story of resurrection, people are encountering something that does not compute. In other words, it supersedes their rational abilities. It, it goes beyond their capacity to understand. Resurrection life goes far beyond our ability to contain it or control it or explain it. Their boxes are too small. It's like their minds are about to get blown because Easter has burst into the world. But it's like our minds can't, can't comprehend it. The first Christ followers weren't prepared for what really happened. How could they be? Nobody could have been. Because the thing is, that the, the wisdom of the ages, I mean, from Plato all the way to the Lion King, the wisdom of the ages is, is this idea that, you know, death is just a natural part of life. Like, it's the circle of life. You're born and then you die, and, and that's kind of like, you know, been passed down the wisdom of the ages. But, but for followers of God in the way of Jesus, 
That just sounds like nice platitudes. Death is not a natural process. From a biblical perspective, death is the enemy of life. Death is the ruin and the destruction of human beings. God created us as spiritual beings, body and soul, human beings, body and soul. And to separate the body from the soul is to tear us apart. And so when we think about the death of Jesus over 2,000 years ago, Jesus dies. He bowed his head. His body went limp. And his body and his soul were torn apart and he descended into death. He descended into the darkness of death and it was the same tragic destruction, the same terrible rending of body and soul that had happened many times before and has happened many times since. But on that day, something new also happened. St. John Chrysostom famously said this, that when Christ died, death took a body and received God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took that which was seen and fell upon the unseen. Because at that moment, the darkness of death received not only another dead human, as it had many times before, it also received the fullness of the darkness of death was suddenly lit up, illuminated by the divinity of God, of Christ. The coldness of death that we have all felt, it was set on fire by the heat of God's love. And in the emptiness of death, it was filled up by the one who's the source of all, and death could not it just simply could not hold Christ. Because at that moment, death itself was blown apart. That moment began the destruction of death and the beginning of everlasting life, life everlasting. It's, it's fascinating. There are these ancient icons of the resurrection, and, and Christ is, you know, is, is rising up, and the gates of death are shattered at his feet. And here's the thing in these icons. Jesus is not alone. Like he's holding the withered hand of a man over here. He's holding the hand of an ancient woman over here. And he's pulling, it's like this picture, it's like this symbol of Adam and Eve and all of humanity in Christ who he is pulling up with him out of death. In the resurrection of Christ, all humans can be redeemed freed from the power of death. And this is why we'll sing about the power of Christ in me, that there is no guilt in that, that there is no fear in death. From life's first cry to final breath, that no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you and I from his hand. That's what we sing about. And on Easter morning, we're invited into this reality again. We're invited to trust in the one who overcame death and pulls us up out of death with him. We are invited to accept this gift of eternal life. And not just in our heads, 
but as a way of living that actively transforms our life. You know, to start afresh, to begin anew, to love mercy, to walk humbly, to do justice with God, to, to practice resurrection, to do something that does not compete every day. So once again, we gather and we place these words upon our hearts. We place these words of resurrections, of the resurrection story upon our hearts. And we pray that one day, when our hearts are breaking, they might fall in and might fall even further in. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We love you. Where else can we turn? It is you who hold the words of life. We thank you for life beyond death, hope beyond despair, light beyond the many days of darkness we all face. We thank you for your resurrection. May the power of your resurrection life burst forth in our lives as we walk with you in a world desperate for new life. May the life of Jesus, your life, your self-sacrificing, revolutionary life of love be the same life spilling out of us. And may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today, we pray.